0: we're going to continue in the latest series that we've been on. It's a series called Mending Fences. And we've been real busy these last couple of weeks. We've been tearing some things down. We've been building some things. We've been refinishing some things, restoring some things, right? And and, and let me tell you what I'm talking about. We all have fences. We all have fences. We have fences that we put up in our lives that define the boundaries for them, right? For some of us, we have no fences at all. They're broken down, and what we have is a lack thereof, and so it invites a lot of unwanted things into our lives. We have fences that provide access to our lives or deny it. For some of us, we just have a door that's closed. It's a fence, but no one's allowed, right? We all have fences that invite others to partake of the good in our lives or hide the things that we don't want seen, right? Right? Don't, don't, don't shout me down. I'm preaching good here. Right? Don't look at me like that with those, you know, high and mighty eyes. Look, I'm, I'm telling you the truth here, right? We got to be honest with ourselves. It's the only way that God's word has entrance into our lives. We all have fences. And the truth is that the fences, the boundaries that we create, that we place around our lives, impact the way we relate to God. They impact the way we relate to each other. They impact the way... We relate to the world. And so I I think it's important if we're going to talk about fences that, the fences that we've created, that we allow ourselves to give God entrance this day. I want to ask you a question. I've been harping on this point the last couple of weeks. Are your fences, are your boundaries helping you or hurting you? The parameters that you've set for your life, are they helping you or hurting you? Because the truth is that if we don't take time to consider this, then we may just miss what God wants to do in our lives, right? So today I'd like to invite you into a personal conversation with God as we look to his word and he speaks to us through his word on the topic, when fences become fortresses. When fences become fortresses. You know, by definition, a fence is a structure, It's a structure that serves as an enclosure, it's a barrier, it's a boundary. It's a means by which we provide ourselves protection, prevention, right? Or even confinement. You know, fences are intended for good purposes. At the onset, they're intended for good purposes. When you put up a fence around your house, you know, you, 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 you're, you're interested in a couple of things. You're interested in one, keeping maybe some vermin, some animals out, right? Nothing bad with that, right? Right? You, you put up fences because, uh, you know, you, you want to define boundaries that create some healthy separation. You don't want anyone walking on your property, right? Nothing wrong with that. And, you know, fences can even serve for the purposes of confinement. Sometimes you want to put up a fence because you just don't want your grandkids running around. Right? You don't want them walking off your property. Right? Maybe you want to keep your pets within. Nothing wrong with these fences. But the unfortunate reality is that for some of us, we don't have fences. What we have are fortresses. Fortresses with high walls, with all sorts of weaponry. I mean, you are packed to the T. You are armed and ready for war. You have weapons on all sides that are set up with the intention of defending yourself. And our defensiveness leads us to attack, attack, attack. And the reason why we build such high walls and live on the attack is because we lack the quality of life that God has provided us. I want you to ask yourself, are you always on defense? Right? I want you to see what the scriptures say about this quality of life. We've been looking at the scripture. We're going to go back to it. Psalm 122, starting at verse 6, it says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. This is speaking of more than the location. This is speaking of a people, God's people. Somebody say, "That's that's me. Praise God. I'm glad you agree with that because God is speaking to you and I. This applies to us. He says, may those who love you. Be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. You know, what we see here is that one of the main reasons why some of us have defensive fortresses instead of healthy fences is because we lack peace and security within. I dare say that maybe you were upset before you got here for some of you. Maybe you came here upset. Maybe you came here huffing and puffing. Let God speak to you today. Let me ask you a couple of questions for personal reflection. Do you find your approach to conflict and disagreement defined by defensiveness? Whenever something comes in direct opposition to something you're saying, something you believe, is your response defensiveness? Do you attack people instead of attract people in your relationships? Do you fight first and feel like a failure later as you lament over the pieces that you're left with? Is it your tendency to approach relationships in general with hypervigilance and suspicion? Are you weary of the person who extends a hand to you and says, man, i just love to get to know you? Do you anticipate hurt and disappointment at every turn of your life? Do you suffer from a victim mentality? Oh, woe is me. It's always somebody else's fault. It's always because of what they said, what they did, what what they're doing, how people see me, the system, the situations going on. Is it always somebody else's fault? Do you use the good news of Christ as a tool to bring healing? Or do you leverage it like a weapon to condemn people under the banner of correction? Listen, if your answer is yes to any of these questions and so many more that we can come up with, then I submit to you that your fences are breached because you are not living with peace and security within the walls of your heart. Wow, that's a sobering thought. But I got good news for you today. God wants to minister to our hearts. Now, before we dig in a little bit more, I want us to go back to another portion of Scripture, looking at Proverbs 24, starting at verse 30, which just really tells us about the condition of the heart, what's going on when our walls are broken, when our fences are destroyed, when we're hurting. Starting at verse 30 in Proverbs 24, it says, I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds. The stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity, like an armed man. You know, these verses depict the tragic state of a person whose life is in ruins Because the lack of attention that they've paid to what's happening within the walls of their heart. Their fences are broken. Their life is overgrown with weeds that suck the life-giving nutrients that God's word has provided, that God's people provide, that time with God provides. And this person is pricked on every side by the thorns that that they keep within the dwellings of their hearts. You know, it's interesting about the sluggard in Proverbs 24 is that he has a fence in place. As a matter of fact, the scripture says he has a stone wall. This guy is interested in do, in, in, in what's going on within his wall so much so that he's fortified walls. Not just a picket fence. And the, the, the sad thing about it is that it tells us that he's protecting What is going on in his life? He's protecting weeds. He's protecting thorns. He's protecting hurts. What else is he protecting? Listen, he's preventing access to what is going on in his life. You stay out there. Don't come in here. He's possibly keeping out solutions in the hand of God in his life. And he's also confining his own departure from what's going on in his life. The reality is that the sluggard's fences are not helping him at all. In fact, they're hurting him because they are keeping him trapped and robbing him from the peace and security that God has promised. My friends, I want to tell you something this morning. Let me remind you that God promises you peace and security. God wants better for you. God has good plans and purposes, but it starts with the inner workings of your heart. You know, there's a valuable lesson that we should heed to from the sluggard's example. And it's this: it's that defensiveness reveals that we have an area in our lives where we're in denial. Let me say that again. Defensiveness reveals that we have an area in our lives that we in, in our lives where we are in denial. When the fences of your life become fortresses by way of defensive attitudes, behaviors, beliefs, and thoughts, you are denying access to God's peace and security. You're denying access to the truth about the unforgiveness in your heart and and the freedom that exists outside of your hurt. You're denying access to the healing that Jesus paid the price for and the new life that is guaranteed for you, for me, for the entire world. See, when you live behind a fortress of defense, it reveals that you're protecting an offense. You're hiding something, and you're denying it. Listen, this guy is living behind broken walls. His home, his property, his lands, his life is a wreck. He has invited a thief. He's living in scarcity, and he's okay with it. That is not the will of God. You know, one day, Jesus was teaching his disciples And he was addressing this issue of conflict between people. But he was also speaking to the power of agreement. He was stressing that. And after this discourse, Peter comes to Jesus with a question. And he says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? You know, the religious leaders... Of Jesus's day taught that one did not have to forgive an offender more than three times, right? And Peter's question tells us that he had a fortress in the making. Let me tell you why I say that. He was willing to do more than was required. He really was. And the the thing about it is that he, he he was willing to do more than what religion called for and righteous. And I say that loosely. Righteous people called for, And there's an undertone here because of what Peter was saying, what he was asking. Because you see, the number seven here, according to Hebrew thought, literally alludes to perfection. And so it's almost like Peter was saying, hey, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? I, I know I've got the perfect answer, seven times. But you see, Jesus recognized a fault in Peter's fence, a crack that was developing, one that would eventually grow to be a fortress of entrapment in his life. It's the reason why Jesus responded by telling him that he had to push past the limits of any offense when he said to Peter, don't forgive seven times, but 70 times seven. To bring this point home, Jesus gives Peter a parable. Matthew 18, starting at verse 23, Jesus speaking, it says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered That he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him and he said, be patient with me. He begged and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, the scripture says. He canceled the debt and then he let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him A hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all owed this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister, listen closely, from your heart. From your heart. Now this parable was not solely in response to Peter's dilemma. See, it's a response to every single human being's dilemma. It's all our issue. Oh, come on, don't look at me like that. You know what I'm talking about. You know what it is to get offended. Right? I can't believe that he said that. I can't believe they didn't shake my head. I can't believe nobody thought about me. I want you to notice something, that the master in this parable is symbolic of God. And the servant is a depiction of us, right? Notice that the servant did not have the ability to repay his master what was owed. That's telling of us. None of us have a bankroll that large to be able to pay for the issue of sin that Christ dealt with. If we could, guess what? Jesus would have never came. See, despite the debt we owed, God, our gracious master, forgave us. But unfortunately, like the servant in this parable, we are prone to forget the great debt that we have been forgiven and therefore inflict hurt upon others through our attempts to vindicate ourselves. The sad reality is that the only person that truly suffers when we take this approach is us. It's you and me. Now the master in this parable rightly dispensed a just judgment. But you see, the results that led to the imprisonment of this servant were chosen by the servant. He trapped himself. By holding on to the offense in his heart, and we do the same. James 1, I'm sorry, uh, I'm so excited I wanted to get ahead of myself there. But what I want to point out to you is that when we live with lives that are characterized by defensive fortresses, like the wicked servant, the only culprit to our imprisonment and entrapment is us. Can I give you good news today? You have the key. You can be free. You can step out of that cage and you no longer have to live trapped under resentment, under bitterness, under anger, under emotions. You don't have to be driven by that. You don't. You hold the key to the cage that you might find yourself in today. And so for the next couple of moments I have, I want to give you a couple of reasons why we need to tear down these fortresses. And if the shoe fits, let's change some things today. Let's change it. Amen? So the first thing I want to share with you is that defensiveness is offensive to God. Defensiveness is offensive to God. Let me take you to scripture on that. You know, there's nothing wrong with feeling offended. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with recognizing what you did is wrong. But here's what's really wrong. Here's the truth about what is wrong. It's wrong when we choose to remain in offense. When we live with it. I could tell you right now, there are some of you that you still, till this day, hold something against someone. And you feel justified and you feel right about holding it against that person who did something wrong to you. Listen to God's word. James 1:19 through 26 says this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Don't just hear it. Take note. Take note of this. In other words, take this life lesson with you. Everyone. How many people? Everyone, Everyone, right? Everyone. That's you. That's me. That's all of us. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger, listen closely, does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Which can save you. Get this. He's speaking to believers. They're already saved. But guess what? This work of salvation takes something from you and me to cooperate with, to walk with, to follow after. goes on to say in verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his fence, uh, 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 looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Hmm. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives Freedom. You should be asking yourself, freedom from what? And continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it. Doing what? I'm glad you asked that. We're going to get to that. They will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And their religion, watch this, is worthless. Worthless. Has no value. No matter what you profess, no matter how spiritual you appear, no matter how blessed you are, he says your religion is worthless. You know, these scriptures tell us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, But then it really gets down to the nitty-gritty, the core of what God wants us to see. He says, rid yourselves of this moral filth and evil. The context for this instruction relates to issues that we can succumb to resulting from conflict by way of our response. That's the context here. That's the main theme here. So when the scripture says, when you look into the marriage, talking about the word and you don't do what it says, Yes, it, it, it does apply to everything that the word says, but specifically it's addressing what God tells us about conflict. You know in context, when you look to God's word, one of the things that is apparent is his he, is his eternal and gracious forgiveness. It's all through the scriptures. So when we look to God's word and we grasp that, but we fail to apply it towards others, God says that we have forgotten what we have received. We have forgotten what the word of God is revealing to us. And what we are doing is becoming deceived. Deceived in our belief that God's forgiveness is good enough to receive but not good enough to extend towards another. According to verse 25, it says that when we do this, we are blessed. Now, here's the thing. You are blessed, but that blessing has to bubble up. That blessing has to be made manifest. And here's a key to walking in the blessing that you already possess. You know what it is? Forgive like he forgave you. Isn't that good news? Isn't that awesome? I am so excited because some of you are going to walk out of here and you're finally going to let go. You're finally going to forgive. Man, that's great news. I'm so excited for you. The second thing I want to leave you with is that you can't see clearly through defensiveness. I'm going to say that again. You can't see clearly Through defensiveness. Listen, if your fence is defense, you're blinded. You can't see. You know, while Peter was a devoted follower of Christ, we see that he had an incorrect view of forgiveness. It's the reason why Jesus took such great time and attention to teach him and thereby teach us as it pertains to this issue. You know, like Peter, we too can... Hold to the belief that forgiveness has limits. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, you know, I'll forgive you. Yeah, i forgive you, but don't cross this line. Right? I love you, but up until this point. I'll forget up until this point. And that's truly telling of the fact that if that's where we are, that we perceive our ability to forgive through the very wall of unforgiveness that we have erected. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. Thank you, brother. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured To you, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye. Let me correct you when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. Don't you just love Jesus? Listen to what he says. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. You know, when you live on the defensive because of the offenses you hold dear, you fail to see. The bigger picture. You are sowing the very thing into your life that you're not wanting. You're sowing judgment. You're sowing discord. You're sowing brokenness. You're sowing an inability to walk in forgiveness. You know, it takes offended people to offend people. just saying right so according to the words of Jesus right he cautions you and I to take the plank out of our own eye now this does not do justice to what Jesus was saying because the word that he used there implies a log I was trying to figure out how to get a tree in here but yeah that wasn't gonna work So this is the best that I can come up with, but it does have a jagged edge, right? Anybody interested in allowing me to illustrate this in your eye? No? That's fine. I'll I'll sacrifice my own eye. Listen, according to the words of Jesus, let's think about this. The problem isn't what you think the problem is. The problem isn't when somebody offends you and me. The problem isn't what somebody did to you. The problem isn't what the church did to you. The problem isn't what your parents did to you. The problem isn't what people think about you. The problem isn't that someone doesn't accept you for the choices you're making. The problem is none of that. It's not what someone did to you. It's how you see because of it. what you believe about yourself what you believe about others how you allow it to change you so here here you and I are with a log in our eye got a log in your eye and you're so worried about what you did to me How you hurt me, but here's get this because this is exactly what Jesus is saying. You're hurting, you're bleeding out, you're living with pain, with trauma, with all this tragedy, all this hurt, and it's all stuck in your eye, and you're going, let me let me take the speck out of your eye. You're so concerned. With the small thing out there, but you fail to see the magnitude of what's going on in your heart. You know, in light of this, Jesus says to us, don't give dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs, lest they trample them. And turn and tear you to pieces. Now in context, context is important here. What is Jesus talking about? You know, in context, the dogs and the pigs here are not the people who have done you wrong. I know some of us, we like, we think of them that way. You dirty dog. You pig. Right? You get all religious. It stinketh. Right? Right? You get all... Pious and holy, right? But you see, the dogs and the pigs here are specifically speaking to the judgment and unforgiveness that you're holding on to. And your judgment and unforgiveness is trampling you, turning on you, and tearing you apart. I got good news for you. Instead of focusing on your offender, start looking at who truly is the offender in your life. Address your own offense. You don't have to bleed out any longer. You know, after a while, that song and dance gets tiring, Woe is me. Your complaints... Right? I'm just this broken person and i just, 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 life is so hard and I'm just so mistreated. Get the plank out of your eye and maybe you will heal. Isn't that good news? That is great news. You know, according to the words of Jesus, you're, you and I are not responsible for the speck in someone else's eye. Get this, the bigger problem is not the speck, it's what we're holding on to in our own eye. You're not responsible for the speck in somebody's eye, but you are responsible for the log in yours. Right? The next point that I want to leave you with here is this. Thank you, sir. The next point I want to leave you with here is this, is that you have no reason to be defensive. You have no reason to be defensive. Let me tell you why I say that. Because if you're wrong, you have no defense. But guess what? If you're right, you have no need for a defense. Isn't that the truth? Have you ever thought about where we get this idea that we have to defend ourselves? I know for some of you, you know, this is your anthem. We got to fight for the right to kill you. You make it a whole new song. The fact that we get ourselves up in arms and fight to defend ourselves leaves us defenseless. Let me take you to the word on that. Romans chapter 12, looking at verse 17. Can I borrow? Can I borrow? my log back. I can borrow my log back. I'm going to hold on to this log because it's no longer in my eye. Right? I'm done with this. I just want you to see what life can look like without the log in your eye. Romans 12 starting at verse 17 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Stop the press. Drop the mic. We're done. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. You know what that tells us? We have no right to act in spite. We have no defense, no basis, no standing to vindicate ourselves. None. He says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible and as far as it depends on who? Who? You. Doesn't depend on the offender. Depends on us. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Peace is your choice. Doesn't depend on your offender and how many times they say I'm sorry and how much they beg you and how much you humiliate them. In order to feel good about yourself. He says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if if your enemy is hungry, feed him. (laughs) If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. To not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I need to pause right here and just address something that is a cancer in the body of Christ. There are too many people in this day and age that suffer from church hurt. You left the church, you left your church, you walked away from your pastor, whatever you did. And you know what? They may very well have treated you wrong. They may very well have taught you wrong. They may very well have overlooked you, dismissed you, dissed you. But here's what Jesus says. Don't repay evil with evil. If you call this your church home, but you're still struggling with some hurt, I'm going to take some, I'm going to take the license the word of God gives me. Paul says this. There are some things that Paul would say to the church that he would specifically say, this I say to you by way of command. He understood his authority, he understood his call, and it's not that I'm any better than anybody, but this I say unto you by way of command. Before you call this home, go settle accounts where you left from. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Amen. Amen. Because guess what? The very thing that you are sowing, you will sow here. And I love you too much, and God loves you too much to leave you in this place where you feel justified and you believe that you're good while repaying evil for evil. Time to get it right. I can't wait to hear your testimonies. I can't wait to see the new level of freedom. Could it be possible that the very reason why you still have yet to step into what God promised you and showed you his gifts and callings that are without repentance is because you're still holding on to a hurt, to an offense, to walls that you subscribe to, that you say, this is right. Listen, when we take up offenses within the walls of our hearts because we believe it's up to us to make what's wrong right, (laughs) here's what we do. We get in an uproar. We pull out our machine guns. We begin to target. We begin to pray like David did erroneously. Kill them, God. Destroy them all. (laughs) Cause the mountains to crush them, God. We get all up in an uproar. We pull out our machine guns loaded with bullets of hurt, evil, vindictiveness, spite, discord. Can I say this? You know, I love you, right? For some of us, you know, we pull out out our grace gun. Because I'm saved by grace. So because I'm saved by grace and I got it all together because I am the righteousness of God, and you are the righteousness of God, we feel that it's up to us to assume the role of the Holy Spirit and correct everyone. Listen. God says don't do it. You know why he says don't do it? Because it's not your place to do so. You are not God. Now listen, a true brother, a true sister, a true part of the body of Christ will bring some things to light. That's scriptural, yeah. But get this, it will never be with the spirit of condemnation. And it will never be dismissive. It won't be, well, you know, don't get mad because I'm telling you the truth. Pharisee, hypocrite. Get the log out your eye. Hey, I'm just following Jesus' suit. I'm just saying. So what we see here is that your defense does not depend on you, but it is up to you. Your defense is not, does not depend on you, but it is up to you. It's up to you to live offended. But in doing so, just recognize that you are the very one putting a stop to God defending you. So we should take heed to God's word and instead of fighting to defend ourselves, we should fight to remain at peace within ourselves and with everyone around us to the extent that is possible. The last point I want to leave you with here today is this. Like a game, you have no defense if you have no offense to win. I'm going to say that again. Like a game, you have no defense if you have no offense to win. Now, I realize that for some of us, you're thinking about this statement from a negative standpoint in light of everything we've touched on. But I want to invite you to see this from a different perspective. Let's take football, baseball, basketball, any sport, really, for example, If all you ever do is play defense, you can't win because you never have the opportunity to score. Follow my train of thought here for a moment. There are times when we must maintain defense in life. Sometimes you have to place parameters that say, no, we're going to be talking about that word next week. Man, I'm telling you, it's going to bless you. It's going to free you. We need parameters in our relationships. But you see, it's when those parameters become fortresses to attack and entrap us that it's a problem. So conversely, just like we have a defense that's necessary sometimes, we also need an offensive strategy. A means by which to score. You know, Peter was solely focused on defense. Hey, Jesus, how many times do I have to put up with this knucklehead until I don't have to forgive him no more? He was focused solely on defense. And Jesus gives him a winning strategy by showing him the offense he needed to win. He had to get the, to this place where forgiveness wasn't based on the moment it's your lifestyle listen to the words of Jesus in Colossians I'm sorry, to the word of God in Colossians chapter 3 starting at verse 12 therefore as God's chosen people God's chosen people, that's you chosen you're elected by God you belong to the Lord and he says as my chosen people holy and dearly loved clothe yourselves with compassion with kindness with humility with gentleness and patience. You know, one thing about me that I can tell you is this. I'm very particular about what I wear. From the socks, to the watch, to the colors, I'm just very particular like that. It's a choice that I make. Why don't I share that with you because humility and kindness and gentleness and compassion and all these things, that's a choice that we have daily. You know what other choice we have? Verse 11, verse 13 says this. Bear with each other. That doesn't mean be a bear to one another. Some of you didn't get that. That will come to you eventually. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any one of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Watch this. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together. Listen to this in perfect unity. Let's stand here today. Perfect unity, perfect unity, perfect unity, complete unity. That's the heart of God. That's God's plan for our relationships with Him, with one another in the body of Christ. But listen, even with those who have offended us in the world, restoration, healing, peace, security, it's time to break the back on the tool that the enemy has been giving you repeatedly. It's time to get rid of your offense and be free. Be free! Be free! Your greatest defense in life is to employ God's truth when offenses exist. So make the decision daily to put on. Compassion. Don't wait for the opportunity to be compassionate. It's too late. You got to wear that baby before you even get there. Compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive. And when we do, we deploy love. The scripture says, and it binds us together. It mends. It heals and restores. It's time to tear down some fortresses, ladies and gentlemen. You know the thing about fortresses is there's always a threat of another one being erected. You know why? Because there's always someone who's going to offend you. It's time to be free. Father, today we come to you in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. Man, right here, right now, some of us here, man, we just need to just make the decision to to take that robe of unforgiveness and defensiveness and offense to strip that off because it's not covering you at all. It's stripping you naked. It's leaving you open for attack and destruction. And today we need to decide to put on compassion, humility and kindness, gentleness, peace. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that He spoke to you powerfully, and that He met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, Uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.